Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungru. Flora Rafai has had quite the journey, and she's not yet 30. From being a CEO of a charity to a graduate of the Masters in Social Innovation, Flora is now an author. Drawing on her experiences and what she wished she had known, Flora wrote Chief Everything Officer as a field guide for small organisation leaders. But before we spoke about the book, I asked Flora what it was that attracted her to the Masters in Social Innovation. At the time, I had been a small organisation leader for about, I think, a year or two years. And what really attracted me to it was that it took all of the aspects of an MBA that I found really interesting around leadership, management, running the organization, addressing so-called wicked problems, but made it very relevant to me working in the charity sector and the nonprofit sector. And it just really drew me in because it felt like it was something that was created for me. And I also quite liked being one of the pioneers of the course in the in the first cohort. We were all a bit crazy in the love, most loving way. <laughs> so as part of the, the, the programme, you have to write a dissertation. What was your dissertation about? My dissertation was around the impact of charities charging for their services. So I looked at charities specifically within uh, the loan, vision and blindness sector, which is where I was working at the time, and uh, compared them in terms of the impact they have, the level of engagement they have against a criteria that we use for great standards in the charity sector to see if there is any real difference between those that charged and those that didn't. And I was very surprised that it came out as completely statistically insignificant, the difference between (laughs) those two. I thought it would lean one way or another, but every, I, I think I had something like 40 criteria that I was judging them on. And it just, anything I tried to analyze it on came back as not statistically significant. So that was quite a, eye-opening thing for me because that flies in the face of a lot of what's accepted about how charities should be and how they should behave to be quote-unquote good. And and I assume from that what you mean is is that uh, charities should not be charging for their services is the public perception. Yes yes and I I would say obviously they were all still charities so that no one was turning a profit it was all about just finding more sustainable ways of being able to engage with their beneficiaries And for some, it was around giving beneficiaries a sense of ownership that they weren't, you know, beholden to anyone else, that they were paying their way and they were getting what they wanted in exchange. So it was very interesting to unpick that as part of the Masters. And I wish I could have, as with all of these things, gone even further with it and done even more. So you've been through the Masters. You have written your dissertation. You've graduated. You've gone from one job. You're now in another job. And along this journey you've decided to write a book which is called Chief Everything Officer. What's that about? So I like to call it a field guide. So the reason I wrote it is, as with everyone, pandemic hit, suddenly have a bit more time to reflect and go into yourself. And what came out for me was I was in my third role as a CEO and I was starting to encounter similar situations as I had before. But each time I had to go, oh, God, what did I do last time? I've read about this. What, what do I do? And I realized that I just needed a place to collect all of my learnings, all of my experience, all the different things that I'd read so that I could have a reference point to look to. 
And that slowly evolved over the lockdowns. And when I got to the end of it, uh, my partner said, you know, someone else might like to read that as well. (laughs) So it was originally for myself to be a reference point. And now I'm just making it available in case other people find themselves in a similar situation. So what is the challenge then? Or what are the challenges of being a CEO of a small organisation? I think it's the wearing of all the hats. And that's kind of, it's a expression that small organization leaders often refer to themselves as the chief everything officer rather than the chief executive officer. Because you'll have a very small team, you'll have limited resources, and you kind of end up doing everything that isn't on someone else's job description. Because there's so many things that have to get done. You have to look after the strategy, management, the finances, communication, income generation, legal, You kind of have to be a jack of all trades. And there's a lot that you're keeping in your head, a lot that you're, a lot of plates that you're spinning. And when you read management books that are out there, they're often written by people who are at the top of, you know, FTSE 100 companies. They've excelled at leading these multinational organizations. And rightly so, they've got a lot of really interesting insights. But it's very difficult to then translate that into I've got a team of four people or I've got a team of five people or I've got a budget that's the equivalent of one of their event budgets. And scaling that down is a bit hard. Why then would somebody want to do that job? Oh, it's just the most fascinating job I've come across. I think that's the exciting thing that you're you're involved in so many things. There's so much variety day to day. Um, You're always learning something new that you never realized you had to know about. And you're always finding yourself in new situations. And then also the small organizations just have a huge impact and you can be a lot more hands-on and involved with what you're doing than you would be at a huge organization when there's, you know, 20 levels of management between you and what the organization actually does. So I, I find it a fascinating role. Clearly you love this. Clearly it is a passion for you. Not just, obviously not just the job itself, but the impact of what you're doing, but it just seems so very, very stressful to be something that is essentially the jack of all trades. You're gathering everybody together. You're dealing with everything. How do you manage with the stress of it? That's a great question. Um, And that is, I mean, section one of the book is about looking after yourself as a CEO, because it is something that we all need to practice. We all need to practice that self-care. And that's where some of So I've also trained as a coach and some of that training's coming in of how you can go about and identify your stress sort of triggers and red flags and work through to finding ways that you can manage that yourself. For me, it's having very clear boundaries of what's work time, what's personal time, and probably putting in as much effort into building out my personal life as I do into my work life. So giving the same level of priority to making time for friends or developing hobbies as I do, you know, doing a master's or other things that that benefit my work. Do you think that as the chief everything officer of a small organisation or a small organisation leader, that sometimes the magnitude of the job that that individual is doing means that they lose sight of the impact of the charity or the organisation itself? I think that's why you have to have a very strong vision and purpose for your organization. And I always find that whenever I'm getting overwhelmed with, you know, a particular, I don't know, pensions challenge, 
going back and having that sort of one pager for yourself of this is why we exist, this is what we're doing. And I think this is the case, whether or not you're a nonprofit, every organization should have a reason for being. Coming back to that and reconnecting with that helps you recognize how all of those little things fit together and ultimately drive towards that vision or purpose. It's a little bit like a self-help book, isn't it, that you've written? And I don't mean that to sound, I'm saying that with a little nod in my head and I know, you know, I know it sounds a little patronizing. I don't mean to at all. But all these things that you've written down, are they things that you, that you in fact practice yourself? A hundred percent. So I didn't write it as a book with any fluff in it. <laughs> so um, I often find, again, when reading other books, you have to wade through quite a bit of self-grandizing. Look at this great example of these things that I've done. And what I've tried to do is just write things down in a very concise way, a bit like a military field guy when they say, you know, you encounter X situation. These are things you need to think through. This is how you need to approach it. It's written specifically so it can be adapted to your situation. And as I said before, I wrote this for myself. So it is. (laughs) And I do find myself in my day to day just flicking over my nearby copy (laughs) to go, wait, what, what is it that I know? Oh, yeah, that's it. Let me let me do that now. It is intended very much to be that reference point, not anything beyond that, really. So how has doing the Masters in Social Innovation impacted how you've moved forward in your career, how you approach life itself, and how you wrote the book? Because clearly it's there in all of these things. So definitely moving forward with my career. When I started the MST, I think I... Had just turned 24. I was the youngest on the course and I was very much at the start of my career. I think I'd been a CEO for about a year at that stage. And it really gave me that theoretical foundation and knowledge to trust what I was doing and recognize where I could improve things, which then ultimately very much fed into the book and a lot of the references in the book are to things that I read during the masters that I've come back to time and time again and I think in terms of approaching the world it had a really good combination of as I mentioned that theoretical foundation but how we apply that practically and I really appreciated in an academic course that focus on practical application and what we do with the knowledge that we have so that's really stayed with me and that sort of curiosity of finding new information, finding out um, how things are developing and growing and and seeing how I can apply that has been massive. And then just generally in life, again, that focus on wicked problems and understanding how the different sectors of a country and an economy can come together from the public sector to private to nonprofit. And we all have a role to play in addressing it, again, was really inspirational and helping me recognize how much good can be done outside of the charity sector, which is where I had always worked. And that was one of the things that prompted me to move into, albeit the nonprofit sector, but still outside of the traditional charity sector itself. You were 23 when you first became a CEO. That is an awful lot of responsibility for a 23-year-old. How did you cope? I think the most straightforward way to answer is I developed the largest imposter syndrome that you can probably imagine and then I tried to learn everything I could so I I recognized 
there was a little bit of arrogance of just going, yeah, of course I can do this, which I think you have to have when you become a CEO of anything. But then it was a, okay, how do I figure it out? How can I continue in this role and do right by the organization that's taking the risk on me? So I went to every free training. I signed up to the masters. I read every book in, in sight and just tried to build out that experience that I didn't have through drawing on other people's experience. What do you think was the most frightening thing about the, the whole situation for you? Probably knowing that not knowing things was no defense. So even, I mean, they don't give you any sort of specific training in being a CEO. There's not a course you have to do before they allow you to take it on. And so there was so many unknowns. But legally, I was responsible for all of it, even if I, no one had ever told me I was responsible for it. So navigating that and figuring it all out was very intimidating. And that was, again, partly the reason I thought it might be helpful for other people to have the book, because I've tried to, as far as I understand the role, capture everything you need to be able to do it and do it to a high standard. So hopefully... I mean, it's the book I wish I had when I was 23, to be honest with you. Will there be any more books? It, it depends. It depends on what I go on to do next and if I feel that there's more uh, information that would be useful. If anyone does read it and has feedback and things they think need to be added, then I would love to draw on that and maybe do a, a next volume in another seven years of being a CEO as I learn more. But it's very much a, this is where my learning is at the moment. And if it grows, then I'll do a new book. Social innovation has been around for a long time. But how the theories and the concepts are applied to the real world are changing rapidly because of everything that has gone on, most particularly everything that's gone on in the last two years. How do you see yourself as a graduate of social innovation continuing to forge forward with that practical delivery, as it were? So I think what the past couple of years have really highlighted to everyone is just how interconnected we all are and how we are all in this together. At the moment, we don't have any other planets we can go to. We're all here. And it's through coming together and recognising the strengths that we have and the knowledge that we have and making that freely available across borders, across institutions that led us to the amazing accomplishment, for example, of having a vaccine within the year. And I think it's as people involved in social innovation, it's up to us to recognize that tremendous power that we can have when we come together and to continue pushing for that. And that, again, it's at all levels. It's not just enormous organizations, really small organizations, micro organizations, I'm doing a tremendous things. It's finding ways we can come together, share that knowledge and push forward for that collective good that I think we need to keep that momentum going. So where do you go forward then? I'm, that's a very good question. <laughs> I see my role in that is to carry on trying to do what I can to support other small organisation leaders. So as I mentioned, I've recently become a coach and I'm trying to support other small organisation leaders and team members, sharing the knowledge that I have gained so far through the book and really just finding 
organizations that have missions that they're passionate about, like the Cambridge Access Validating Agency, which is all about supporting adults to re-engage in education and to aspire um, through education to achieve their goals. So really it's finding my passion and doing what I can to support that and others. One final question for you. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, Flora, I am thinking about applying for the Masters in Social Innovation. What would you say to them? I would say 100% do it. It's a fantastic course. Everyone on the teaching and support staff are lovely. They all really care about what they're doing. As I said at the start, everyone's a little bit crazy, but in a wonderful way, in a passionate way. And the quality of the education is fantastic. And it was honestly the best educational experience I had. It fit really well alongside doing full-time work and it was flexible, but still really high quality and really gave me what I needed to go forward. So I would recommend anyone interested to identify what their aims are, make sure there is alignment between that and the course. But if there is, then absolutely do it. It's, it's a fantastic course. That was Flora Rafai, the CEO of the Cambridge Accessing Validating Agency and also author of the book, Chief Everything Officer, a field guide for small organization leaders. You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation and how to apply for our master's programme by following us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter and YouTube.